Well, I felt I felt a certain sense of desperation where where I I, I could see my life with a left road and a right road, where if I went left, my which is the default, my life would amount to pretty much nothing. I would live off my parents. Maybe I'd have a, a really shitty job, and I'd just be depressed, and I'd have no freedom, and my life would amount to nothing, right? And on the on the other hand, if I took the right road, right, um, you know, maybe I'd have a company with hundreds of thousands of employees. Maybe I'd be able to, you know, do whatever I want and live, you know, a ridiculous lifestyle and impact and help millions of people. Welcome to Leadership with Lisa. This is Lisa Carmen Wang, U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur and executive leadership coach. This is a show that dives into deeply personal stories from the world's most impactful leaders, transforming the face of business and culture as we know it. You'll learn powerful leadership lessons to help you become more passionate, purposeful, and powerful in your life. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. As an elite athlete, there were so many times that I did not want to go into the gym. It was hard, it was exhausting, and at times it was monotonous. The same things happen as an entrepreneur today driving my business day in and day out. But the thing is, I've always had conviction in my dreams, back then and now. I've always believed in my ability to work hard. And I believed that if I worked hard enough, something good would inevitably come out of it. In life, there are never any guarantees of success. No matter how hard you work or how well you prepare, sometimes the world just has different plans for you. But while you can't control the outcome, what you can control is how much you're willing to believe in yourself, how much you're willing to put on the line in order to achieve your dreams. It's the people who take the biggest risks who reap the biggest rewards. So I encourage you to dream as big as you can. Dream as if there were no limits, because really, there aren't. If you just allow yourself to believe. Once you have your dream, don't doubt yourself. Just go for it. It doesn't mean you have to achieve everything immediately. All it means is that you need to take one step forwards towards making that dream a reality. Today's guest has learned to do exactly that. Even though she was a straight C student throughout high school, dealt with health issues, and struggled through depression as a teenager, she made one decision that changed her entire life. She decided to believe in herself. She decided she had to turn her dreams into a reality, and since then, she has never looked back. Today, Jess Ma has manifested her multi-million dollar empire. She employs nearly 300 employees as the founder and CEO of Indonero, the top B2B startup accounting software company. She's been named Forbes 30 Under 30, Inc. 30 Under 30, and the first time I saw her was on the cover of Inc. magazine. Jess's story is one of ambition and determination. After she raised her first million dollars of funding, she burned through all of it and had to rebuild from scratch. Even when no one would give her more money, she kept going. She believed in herself when no one else would. She believed in her ability to create impact, to run a massive company, and to fundamentally change how leadership and companies are run. Today, she's doing exactly that. How did she have the confidence when she didn't have the degree, she didn't have any financial knowledge, she didn't have any business background, and she didn't have a network? In today's interview, Jess shares exactly how she was able to manifest her empire. I hope this interview inspires you to keep believing and running after your dreams. I'm here today with Jess Ma, the founder and CEO of Indonero. And Jess, what does the word power mean to you? I mean, power is so interesting. For me, it means the ability to have influence on people and to 
you know, for me, it also, I think about the ability to do whatever one wants, whenever they want, wherever and however they want. That's ultimate power. But, but the bigger piece for me is the impact and being able to influence other people, hopefully in a positive way. Mm. And this doing whatever you want, I mean, that's really freedom. Have you always wanted or strived for this feeling of freedom and doing whatever you wanted? Yeah, of course. I've always wanted that since, since as long as I could remember. And, and being an entrepreneur, that's a big part of it, right? Like being able to be able to run a business and wake up and decide what I want to work on that day. That's, I think that's, that's ultimate power in my book. Yeah. And when was a moment in your life that you felt the most powerless and like things were spinning out of your control? Well, when I was younger, I had a really tough time in high school. Um, I had a lot of medical issues um, throughout my childhood and in my teenage years. And I was in and out of doctor's offices and hospitals a lot. And I also just hated school. I was a horrible student. I just wanted to run my own business and not be in school and not have serious breathing issues and other hormonal issues that I was struggling with. That's just a horrible time. And I hated my life. I was on antidepressants and I was getting straight C's in school and I was getting in trouble in school, like getting sent to the principal's office a bunch. And, um, and I just, couldn't even imagine the idea of living till my late 20s. And so here I am, I'm turning 30 in a few weeks. I'm very excited about that. It's a good decade. Just turned 30 myself. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you were able to obviously get through that hard period. And um, yeah, what were you feeling back then, if you take us back to yourself? Um, I mean, I felt stuck I felt constrained and I felt um I felt trapped and cornered and powerless and I felt I, I felt that no matter whatever I was going to do after that would be to set myself up to to really create a life where um that's not an issue for me where none of those issues would be issues so um, so that's why, you know, through high school, I started working on my own businesses, making money. I was, I mean, by the time I was 14, my business was making not a whole lot of money, but, you know, we were, we were doing a few hundred thousand dollars a year. So I was making more than my state science teacher was. And that, to me, felt like independence, freedom, and power. And I just couldn't leave that after that. Once, once I hit that, I was just addicted. I knew I would, I would never go back and never lead a normal life, nor would I ever want to from that point on. Yeah. A lot of people ask me about this question around drive and motivation, because I always think that the, the people who become successful are just the ones who see adversity and just push through it no matter what. At that young of an age, what do you think it was that drove you even when you were feeling so powerless? Well, I felt, I felt a certain sense of desperation where, where I, I, I could see my life with a left road and a right road, where if I went left, my, which is the default, my life would amount to pretty much nothing. I would live off my parents. Maybe I'd have a, a really shitty job. And I'd just be depressed and I'd have no freedom and my life would amount to nothing, right? And on the, on the other hand, if I took the right road, right? Um, you know, maybe I'd have a company with hundreds of thousands of employees. Maybe I'd be able to, you know, do whatever I want and live, you know, a ridiculous lifestyle and impact and help millions of people all around the world. And, um, and so I kind of just created that vision in my head, even though I'm, I was just like a depressed uh, and stupid 14 year old, like lying in bed. And so I just did a lot of daydreaming. And so that daydreaming and fantasizing was the motivation I needed to get going. And I still use that tool today. Pretty much every morning I wake up and I do a 
Um, I try to manifest what I'm trying to create. Like, what am I looking forward to? How does that feel? And I'll just lie in bed at night and like just play music and just like do that even to this day. And look, it works. I mean, it's, it's really, um, I mean, our company now, we're at 300 employees, we'll grow to 400, maybe even 500 in the next year, even through COVID. Um, and, you know, we built a company that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, it's, it's just really cool to be able to have the ability to, you know, like fly around, for example. Like I got my pilot license um, five years ago and I use that all the time just to be mobile. And that was also one of my dreams. Like, okay, if, if I like make enough money one day, I'll be able to do that. And so I just like did the whole manifestation exercise. And now I'm thinking, what else can I do that's on that level? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite quotes is a Walt Disney quote, which is, if you can dream it, you can do it. And life, you know, is, is really just, I think of it as, in some ways, who has a stronger will? If everyone has their will that they're pushing or their agenda, it's kind of like, who's going to push harder and make their dream and their will a reality? So it seems like that's something that you started at 14 and um, are still doing today. Yeah, Walt Disney's, uh, I mean, for all his personal faults, uh, he's actually a really inspirational character in many ways. Uh, and so I, I like obsessively studied Walt Disney and many of these other tycoons and it's just incredible how messed up so many of these people's uh, home lives and childhood lives were. And, um, and so I really studied that a lot through high school and through college. I just read all these people's biographies and um, Walt Disney in particular. And that really influenced me a lot. What was the most important thing you learned from studying Walt Disney's background? With Walt Disney, man, there's so many lessons with Walt Disney. I mean, Walt Disney, I think a few important things to think about with him. It wasn't just Walt Disney. Like everyone thinks about Walt Disney being this creative genius and he was, but really his brother was the brains behind the entire operation. And there's just so much dependence on having other people to support your vision. And, um, and if you didn't have that, Disney would never be where it is today. Like if Walt Disney died and then when he died, his brother basically had to take the entire empire and grow it from there. And I didn't realize that. I thought Disney was already a huge thing by the time Walt Disney died. It was not, you know? Mm -hmm. So how has that influenced the way that you build your company or, I mean, especially early on, right? Where you were um, kind of starting it for the first time and uh, building into Nero and thinking about support systems or maybe not thinking about them as heavily. Well, I think I've changed my support system a lot over the past 10 years. So I had a business partner uh, co-founder I started the company with. Um, and then I brought in my college roommate who was like a step co-founder. And then both of them eventually left the business. And I was basically alone by myself again. And then I brought in a COO who was my business partner for a few years. And then he left. And then, you know, now I'm kind of diversifying my support structure and reconstituting that again. And so um, I think having that support is important, but the lesson I learned there is that as my business grows and as I grow, the type of support I need and want is going to change and that's okay. And I think so many people are locked in to this idea of needing to have one person to stick it out with forever. And it's like, look, your business support, this is not like a lifetime marriage. You know, you're not stuck with one person forever or until, you know, death do us part. Um, and uh, people are always surprised when I say that my business partner, partner, my co-founder, he and I are still best friends, even though he doesn't work in the company anymore. And we had a conversation at one point where we both realized we'd be happier uh, going off to do our own things. Um, so, and I, I think that people are scared to make that change. People are worried about keeping the relationships, how will their business survive or how will they survive without the original partner. And, and now that I've been through this a few times, I, I, I don't feel any fear around that topic anymore. Yeah. 
I mean, what that really shows is abundance um, and belief in yourself. Because I think a lot of people in any sort of partnership come from it from scarcity, like, oh, I don't have enough, or I'm not skilled enough in this area. I don't know if I can make it happen. And I need someone versus I want someone to compliment and support this. Yeah, exactly. That's beautifully said. It's just like relationships, right? Um, so tell me about the way, um, you found it in Nero. I know that you raised money early and that there was, um, you know, a lot of ups and downs there. Could you share the story for, or the narrative for people who might not know it? Yeah. So I started in Nero, um, fresh out of college. I was studying computer science at UC Berkeley and I didn't, have the ability to get a normal job because once again, my grades were horrible. So I was pretty much a uh, straight C student through Berkeley. Um, how did I get into Berkeley? It, uh, the answer to that is for uh, the year before I applied, I got straight A's and then I like just memorized everything in the SAT testing and just nailed that. So, um, so I managed to get on the Dean's list for one year got into Berkeley, and then I was a street C student thereafter. Um, so, you know, Google, Facebook, these guys weren't going to hire me. I was, like, probably a bottom quartile student. Um, and I wanted to start a business that would uh, make a meaningful difference for lot, lots of people, but would make it through a recession. I don't know why that was so important to me, but, but I wanted something durable, and I was worried that if I built, like, a like a Instagram competitor, it just wouldn't really make a difference, like a positive difference. In fact, it could be a negative impact in society. Whereas if I help entrepreneurs and businesses with their money, with actually running their businesses in some critical, uh, essential way, then it could be really impactful. And it could be a platform for doing so many other great things too. And so that's how the idea came about. Wanted to help them. And I thought that accounting and finance management, uh, management and dealing with their taxes was just such a huge pain point for businesses. And it was a huge pain point for me. And frankly, I didn't know anything about accounting or taxes uh, at all when I first started the company. A lot of people said, oh, you must have studied like accounting in college or you, you took some business school classes. I took nothing and I knew absolutely nothing. Um, but what I did do was um, I raised some money, so found some investors, got some grant funding, uh, went through this accelerator program called Y Combinator, which funded companies like Airbnb um, and Dropbox, and they're like the first money in. So I went through that program. They helped me find more investors. Um, so folks like the founder of Yelp or uh, YouTube ended up investing in the business. And they were my earliest mentors. They really helped me um, get my business off the ground and focus and prioritize on the right things. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Without all these people's support, I'd never be where I am today. And I just, I felt really lucky to meet these people along the way and just be uh, candid about saying, look, I want to build a huge business. I don't want to build a tiny business. I don't know how, I need support. I want to meet people who built some of the best companies in the world. And that's kind of how they're like, oh, well, I know this guy. And then, and then that kind of led to all of that, which is pretty incredible. Where did you get that confidence? Uh, I didn't have the confidence. I think, I, think, uh, I think people thought I had the confidence at the time and I had none. I was actually really scared. But I was a dreamer, and so I could smile and say what I wanted, and that is misinterpreted as confidence. Because mm. it seems, I always, yeah, for me, it's like I think of confidence as there's three things. There's conviction and showing people that you know what you want and actually knowing what you want because so many people can't answer the question, what do you want? Um, and then the second part of it is actually being able to commit um, and saying like, I'm in this for the long haul. And then the third is consistency, the ability to show up over and over and over again and show that you are committed and you have conviction. So it seems like even just the ability to say, I want this and this is going to happen um, is in and of itself like a reflection of outward confidence at least. Exactly, it is. 
I would call it um, clarity. Like I had a lot of clarity on what I wanted and I had the honesty to say that is actually what I want because a lot of people would say oh I don't want that because they're scared of what it means but I'm like you know honestly I do want to be successful and I do want to be rich and I'm not going to apologize for that um yeah would I admit that publicly at the time absolutely not I mean even right now it's a little <laughs> weird to say yeah I'd want that but like to myself at least I was very clear I had that, I had a hundred percent clarity to myself when I'd lie down in bed by myself and not have to tell anyone. Um, so you were saying even back then, I want to build a huge company of no idea how, or you were just saying, this is the impact I want to make. Yeah, exactly. And then I started sharing that with people and just being open and people would ask too. a lot of these, I'd be shy and they'd be like, so Jess, what are you trying to do here? Like, what's your goal? where do you see yourself in 10 years? And then I answered candidly, like I see myself running a huge company and having full freedom and really enjoying what I do and making a big impact and uh, helping a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses. And the scale is going to be massive. And, um, you know, and yeah, just, just talk about that, honestly. Awesome. Yeah, and not apologize for it though. That's the key. Yeah. And, and it's like the demeanor of it being, this is going to happen. I think that's the other thing, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. So might as well just help me get there faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so here you are, you just raised a bunch of money, uh, have these awesome mentors. What happened next? Well, we didn't raise that much money. So at the time I raised maybe a million dollars, which seemed like a lot of money in 2010 for someone fresh out of college. But now people laugh at that. They're like a million bucks. Like people are raised three, four or 5 million bucks coming out of the gate. Um, but at the time it was very newsworthy. So we got a lot of buzz and attention about that. And then I wanted to go out and raise a lot more money. Um, I wanted to raise like five or 10 or $20 million and no one would give us money. And this is 2011, 2012. I mean, our metrics were not that great. Our retention wasn't great at the time. Our revenue was close to nothing. Like we didn't really have a viable business. We had a lot of buzz. We had 50,000 signups and they were all vanity metrics, but they weren't substance metrics. Like they were great for media attention, but they weren't good for building a long-term sustainable business. And if I had been successful in raising more money, I would have burned all of it and it would have been a total waste. So I'm glad that I didn't succeed. But yeah, it really hurt my feelings. It really hurt my ego because I'd pitch my business. I'd say, look, I'm going to be successful. Like you should just bet on me and bet on the business. We'll figure it out. And people are like, you know, you're going to be successful. So it's, it's really hard for me, but my partners don't see that. They, they, you know, they're looking at your business and they're wondering where the substance is. And it's just so hard to pass on this feel because I know you're going to figure it out. And, you know, here we are. And yeah, I did figure it out. And, um, and they, but I got that feedback from so many people. Like I never had someone say, yeah, your business is not going to work out. Um, or like, I, I don't believe in the business. It's like, um, that, that really sucked. And, uh, you know, but it ended up being a great blessing because then I just built this business where, you know, now we've been able to raise more money along the way, but you don't have VCs breathing down our necks. You have full freedom to do whatever we want. And most companies don't have that freedom. And so I think it was really a blessing in disguise. Hmm. So, so essentially what happened, um, from what I understand, is that uh, you raised the money and then you were able to hire people, but then something happened and you had to bring the team back down to just you and your co-founder? Well, we ran out of money and no one else would give us more money. So yeah, it's back to my co-founder and I. And then we were like, all right, we have to actually focus on substance. And what do people care about? They care about revenue. I'm like, all right, shoot, well, how do you build something that people will actually pay for? Um, and so we went back and interviewed all of our customers and our customers would say, all right, well, I'd pay you 10X what I'm paying you now if you did X, Y, and Z. Um, like follow my taxes for me, like actually do the hard work. Don't just make it easier for me to do those things. Like do it. So I said, all right, well, fine. Uh, we'll follow your taxes for you. We'll take care of all your tax compliance and you'll pay us 10 X. And they're like, seriously. All right, deal. So that was how we got our first customers. 
And, um, and then I hired some actual tax people and accounting people to work at the company to actually deliver on that. And then it was not at all scalable. We had no software automation. And then I just figured, you know, we'll build that after the fact, but at least let's just make momentum and show that we could do this. And yeah, and actually build something that customers want. They don't just say they want, but they actually want and that they pay for. Right. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, so many entrepreneurs eventually run out of money and then give up. <laughs> so you didn't do that. Um, so after have you, I mean, have you raised money since? Cause you're saying you're talking about freedom and, or have you mainly been just revenue generating and grown to where you are now? Yeah, we ended up raising like $20 million after that in, um, in investor capital. And then, and then we have a debt facility that we use uh, for um, M&A and acquisitions. So by and large, you know, for the scale of business we're at, we've raised far less money than all of our peers. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting because once our business was like starting to do well, I went back to those investors. I'm like, hey, would you invest now? And they're like, oh, you're too big for us now. Like, <laughs> like what? I'm too big for you now? And they're like, yeah, like we usually invest if you're like, you know, sub five or sub 10 million in revenue. And I'm like, oh shoot, like I thought, I thought I should wait till I'm like 10 million in revenue to call you back. And um, so it's like totally different class of investors uh, as, as the business gets bigger. Yeah. So what are you, I mean, I, I imagine that there's been a lot of change in your own identity, your own perspective in the world, given all the ups and downs in your business. How do you think you've changed? Like, how are you different now than when you were, let's say when you were first raising money and then when you were rebuilding the company? Um, in many ways, I'm actually more humble than I was. When I first started, I was a bit of a arrogant, cocky person who thought I knew everything. And, and now I think I'm a lot more aware of all the common pitfalls and problems. So, um, so I think humility is one of the biggest things. Um, I think I'm also different in that, in that anytime I get a rejection or something doesn't go well, I think, wow, this is actually a great opportunity. Like something better is right around the corner. And that was really hard to learn. It took, it took like this happening several times where like, you know, I couldn't raise the money or where like a big deal fell through or where um, I thought we'd go bankrupt one year or like COVID, like each thing that happens. I, I have to go through this exercise where it's like, all right, I think I'm going to like go bankrupt. I'm going to have to live on my parents' sofa. And then so like, wow, this is actually a huge opportunity. This is probably one of the best things that's happened to the business. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the anti-fragility to almost see anything negative as something that isn't something just to overcome, but makes you stronger in the long run. Exactly. Yeah. And I also think I, um, you know, now I also just think much bigger and grander than I did when I first get, got started. When I get, first got started, the advice was you have to pitch a big vision or investors won't get excited. So a lot of my peers were manufacturing larger visions than what they actually saw. Whereas now it's like, for me, at least my authentic vision is actually really big. And uh, that, that definitely wasn't the case earlier. And so what, what is the authentic vision? Well, authentic vision, meaning like how I think about the scale of my business or what we could do, right? Like at first, I'm like, oh yeah, like, we're doing accounting, but one day we'll do other ancillary things and we're going to, you know, impact, you know, X number of businesses and people and, you know, get to, you know, X millions or hundreds of millions of revenue. But now that we're pretty far along on, on the vision, all the things I said back then that seemed like a pipe dream. Now I'm like, I see those things. I'm like, yeah, and actually we're actually doing those things and we're doing so much more on top of that. Um, and I believe it. So it's more about me believing it. Whereas before I didn't really fully believe it. I just felt like I had it and sorted it into the story, um, to get, <laughs> get more interest for the business, you know? Yeah. How would you define confidence? Because you talked briefly about the, the cockiness, arrogance, or kind of not really 
or assuming that you know everything and then humility. Um, but what about the word confidence for you? What does that embody? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think confidence for me is the unwavering knowledge that a good outcome will happen. And, and there's a really fine line between confidence and arrogance and cockiness. And I, have to, I watch myself on this a lot. When I was a kid, my mom would call me arrogant and cocky all the time. And I told her, no, it's just confidence, mom. It's confidence. And she's like, no, you're, you're arrogant. I can't believe my daughter's so arrogant. And so it's actually a very touchy subject when you bring it up. Um, it, it really reminds me of my, my childhood a bit and my conversations with mom. And my conclusion is that at the time, and even now to some extent, there, there definitely can be both confidence and cockiness and I've had both at the same time so the key is how do you have that unwavering knowledge of future success while being humble of the pitfalls and the problems along the way that's the careful balance that uh that we want to figure out how to create how do you perceive people who are on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to confidence and they feel I mean a lot of people um just feel like they're not good enough, that they are lacking confidence, that there's a lot of self-doubt, right? Because I think we always talk about how the strongest entrepreneurs kind of walk into the room, have a vision they believe in, they say it's going to happen. It seems like you had that. Um, but what sort of advice would you give to people who are in those shoes of self-doubt? I think self-doubt is not, it's not fixed overnight and it's not fixed well by psychologists. Uh, a lot of people try to fix self-doubt through therapy and through pep talks. Um, neither are effective um, nor sustainable. I think the only real way to fix it, from what I've seen, is to actually break it down. Like, what are you not confident about? Where do you have, where do you believe you will fall down and scrape your knees and not succeed? And let's really list this out and be super thorough. And let's admit it, you are not confident. Let's, I mean... Yeah, you're not confident. You have no faith in the future success scenario. And what kind of goes into that? Like, what are the things you're not going to be successful on? And why are you not going to be successful? And starting with that and then saying, all right, let's pick the easiest things here that we could show success on. And what are the skills you're lacking or the, net, the connections you're missing? And let's get mentors to one by one plug all these goals. I think it's, a pro it's an actual project. Um, and, uh, something where you could apply pragmatism to. It's not. It's not a psychological or therapeutical issue. As it, it's, I don't. I don't think Tony Robbins will fix your confidence issue um, in a sustainable way. Like you should be more confident leaving the seminar for a week or two. But, um, but yeah, like for for uh, a lot of people, they're not confident in their ability to fundraise. Why are they not confident in their ability to fundraise uh, when they go out to talk to investors? It's because they've gotten a lot of rejections. It's that they know that their business is struggling, that they don't have great metrics. So they're not confident and for a good reason. Let's focus on those reasons. Let's deal with that head on. Um, or let's say you're not confident about your ability to recruit a heavy hitting person. Okay, well, we could take baby steps. We could recruit a heavy hitting A plus superstar consultant or investor or coach. And, and then we'll work up to the superstar C-level executive that you don't have confidence you're going to be able to hire yet right now. So there are these baby steps along the way you could take on and find great mentors to help you achieve those baby steps. I think that's really how you mm. get confidence. Yeah. I mean, it, I think there's kind of a, a few steps there. One is really about shedding light on the things you might not be aware of, which is what you mentioned, right? It's like maybe there is... Um, an actual thing that you aren't like an actual thing that you don't believe in within your business or yourself. And then that also is combined with like your fears. Are you just afraid of failure in general? What does that failure? And I think that's where potentially something deeper, right? It's like maybe you had a really bad failure before and you never recovered from it. And you, and then people laughed at you, you know, when you were younger and then that's just always been the scar. Um, yeah. That's perhaps where the, the chip on the shoulder comes in, right? Exactly. I mean, look, I had confidence in everything in my business. I had no confidence with dating, right? 
Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you, ask you about personal life. Um, and if you think all these things like lack of confidence, because that, that can be all parts of your life. Um, all these things that we've talked about apply in the way that you are able to, you know, deal with your personal life. Yeah, I think you could apply in the same way. I mean, how I, I mean, I, I fixed my dating confidence uh, over the past year through the same process. And I think the first step is actually being honest about it and saying, I don't have confidence there and just sharing it and getting mentorship. So, um, you know, I met someone who I, I told, I'm like, look, I, have, I don't have confidence here. Like, I think I'm going to question at work. And, but dating, I have no confidence. And it's honestly a big, serious issue for me. And, and then that guy and I ended up dating for like, you know, actually still <laughs> dating, what am I talking about? Um, and, uh, you know, it's stuff like that where like, or like with business, right? Like, oh, I'm really struggling on fundraising, right? Admitting that to your mentors and then your mentor will help you find investors, right? I think admitting lack of confidence or admitting like performance gaps is the best way to fix those gaps in such an interesting, ironic and weird way. Yeah. I mean, it almost shows how much people derive value from helping others when like to feel useful, right? Um, (laughs) And especially if you have someone who's smiling at you and just like honestly being like, I, I have no idea how to overcome this. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of entertaining too, right? Like you could just say, yeah, my business is a total shit show. I'm like losing a lot of money right now and I'm probably going to have to, lay off hundreds of people like it's pretty hilarious how you know messed up that is and uh, yeah. I mean I don't have that problem right now but in the past I definitely had that fear and I've shared it openly and talked about it with my friends and I don't really hide it because if you can't be honest with your friends or mentors like what are they there for right yeah um, and the last thing I think I would highlight in terms of the confidence process is like action so that was also what you mentioned where, you know, it's one thing to admit it. It's one thing to dive into the fears and to list all them out, but then you actually have to go out into the world and face them, right? If you're afraid to, or you're, you're not confident with investors, you actually have to do more investor meetings. If you're not confident with dating, you actually have to go out and date. Um, and so there's this, there's this part of it of, I think people get stuck in the inaction zone and fear and worry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's, what's there to lose, too? It's a great question, right? Like, all right, yeah. if, you're, if you're stuck in inaction, I'm just like, all right, well, I mean, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, you're going to be no worse off yeah. than where you are, right? Yeah. Do you think you have any other lingering fears in your life? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I wonder if I'm going to be a good parent or not. I mean, I was hanging out with my boyfriend last night. I'm like, how do you people run businesses and have kids at the same time. Like, I literally don't understand how that works. And uh, I mean, yeah, that literally came up last night. Um, I worry that I'll be successful and yet I won't make as much of an impact on actually helping other people. Um, I'll get too comfortable or I'll end up in the trap that I see a lot of people do, which is, you know, they're in their forties or fifties, they have kids they've been successful, they sold their business, or they went public, or whatever, and then they get so comfortable, they don't focus on philanthropy, impact, helping other people, they're so focused on their own insular, uh, myopic problems, and I never want that to happen to me, um, so I'm, I'm taking action, I mean, I'm working on, um, you know, this thing called C19 Coalition, which, uh, which is helping hundreds of manufacturers in the U.S. repurpose and make medical supplies, where buying tens of millions of N95 masks and PPE from China and bringing it to the U.S. And we've raised almost $50 million and I'm trying to raise another $200 million right now to fund working capital there. And so I'm using all my business skills, all my finance skills and, uh, you know, management uh, skills to, you know, work on impact, which is really cool. So it's kind of like my second job. And, uh, but six months ago, that was a huge worry. And right now it's still a worry. Like, all right, C-19 goes away and then I'm going to get too comfortable. I'm I'm not going to find a project to make a difference on. So, you know, all these things. Yeah. All this stuff comes up all the time for me. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I wanted to just ask you quickly about, yeah, your thoughts about family 
really where it comes to running a company, building a family. Um, how do you see yourself or when do you see yourself kind of thinking more about that? Because I think that's an honest conversation. A lot of, especially ambitious business women, especially now, um, are grappling with. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful that I have a entrepreneurial mom. My mom started her business the year I was born, which is the probably the worst time to start a business. <laughs> and she came to America from Hong Kong as a secretary. So, you know, she had a living, but she definitely wasn't rich. And she didn't know anyone else successful. And she started, she bootstrapped her business from nothing the year I was born and raised me along the way. And then, and she wasn't around as much as she would have wanted. And I think I turned out okay. And um, I think a lot of people who didn't have an entrepreneurial mom might be really worried about that. Like what signal does that send to the kid? Like, and in my case, it was inspiration. I'm like, oh wow, my mom did this. Like I can too. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think I'm lucky. I just had that role model. So I think I just copy her and be like, all right, like I'll figure it out. And like, my kid's going to feel like I'm a little absent, but like he or she will thank me later and find it more inspirational. So it'll all work out. Okay. That's kind of my current attitude. Um, I think that the biggest problem I see with women, uh, our age is that they're, they worry about being on the clock. Right. So how do we, what would the world look like? if you could have kids whenever you want and wait till you're in your fifties or sixties and not worry about running out of energy either and quality of life extends. It's not just quantity of life. And so I, I'm actually working to find all the scientists working on, uh, you know, all these solutions for enabling women to be mothers well into their fifties. And mm -hmm. what would that look like? And it's very controversial, so maybe I'm going to regret sharing this publicly, but I believe that we should have options there. And so I will fund that and I will work on it and do whatever it takes to at least make that, you know, a possibility for people. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of that. I think that, I mean, it's, it, it, the, I would say it's still the biggest thing that makes it difficult for women to be truly equal because of the the biological clock and if you do want that it's you have to think about that extra um that extra responsibility that comes perhaps earlier for you than for for men and so i think that that's yeah what you're really putting time into and supporting would be essentially freedom for from our women that's the idea so yeah my my current plan is i'm collecting all the scientists working on this so we could just take your skin cells and create functional eggs and use that to, you know, create children even when you're 50 or 60. And so we're not worried about, uh, about this. And so, yeah, anyway, that's weird. I've never shown that publicly, yeah. but that is like one of my, <laughs> my pet projects. How do you, um, how do you think about egg freezing, embryo freezing, and, you know, even the data around that? I mean, it's worth doing, but it's not the, it's not the long-term solution. For, for this problem. I think we're still thinking too short term. Like the, like all that only, that buys you some time and buys you some options, but it's still a big prob probability game. It's still a crapshoot, right? So I think being able to, you know, reproduce with just taking your skin cells or swabbing your mouth or draw, doing a blood draw and being able to truly create a lab generated child. I think that's, that's where we need to be investing your efforts. So I'm investing no money into improving uh, egg freezing and any of that stuff. I'm, I'm not spending any of my research dollars or uh, time supporting because it's, it's not, it's not going to work out long term for us. Yeah. Well, awesome. I think as that, as that progresses over the years, we'll bring you back on. <laughs> um, I think it'd be a, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be hopefully so much progress in that area. I think so. I mean, the bigger topic, the bigger topics there are, what are the big things that if we figure that out will transform society in a fundamental way and how can we be catalysts for making sure those things happen and we have the ability to make that impact like you don't need to wait for you know freaking Richard Branson or Larry Page to do this stuff like if we create successful businesses if we I mean like who like 
with this COVID stuff, right? Like, who am I to like do anything there? I didn't know anything about N95 masks and PPE uh, five weeks ago, right? And, um, you know, now we're making a huge impact there. So I think, you know, that kind of begs the question of what else is in your life where right now you know nothing, but you can make a difference. It's not that hard to pick it up. Like accounting and taxes, I know anything about accounting. And now I have probably one of the largest B2B accounting companies in the country, right? At least by revenue and employee scale, but mostly revenue. And, uh, you know, you could, you could do this in any category, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, re- that's really inspirational. I think something that a lot of people need to hear um, just about, it, it kind of all goes back to that Walt Disney quote, if you can dream it, you can do it. Um, and it seems like you really dreamt up your reality. Uh, a few more questions. What do you think the future of leadership looks like? You know, we touched a little bit about the types of leaders that we see now, but how, like, what do you think the face of it looks like? What are the qualities that you think need to be more present? Yeah, um, I think that the future of leadership is extreme authentic leadership. I think so many leaders are such bullshit artists. You know, <laughs> they just like have a script. And they look like they look like uh, private business politicians. It's, it's really ridiculous to me. And um, I don't think there needs to be as much separation with work and personal and what you share and how you show up at work. And I think leaders will bring more of their natural, authentic selves, and employees will see that. And, and I think that that will go over a lot better. So, yeah, I mean that's kind of my main point there. Yeah. I, I love that because I always talk about authentic confidence and what that looks like. And that's really the ultimate freedom, the freedom to be completely authentically whoever it is that you are and not have to hide that, not have to compartmentalize that. Um, because once you actually, you know, authentic means that you're able to admit your faults. Um, you're also able to own up to your strengths and what you're really, really good at. Um, but that I think when people are not hiding who they are, it, it's almost, you give permission to other people to also be authentic and show up as fully as they want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're giving them a gift by showing up authentically, as you said. Exactly. Yeah. What would you consider your superpowers to be? I mean, I think we have, there's, there's a lot of them, um, but I think of superpowers as the thing that makes you uniquely special, um, but also this, the thing that makes the biggest difference for other people. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this question lately. It's a really good one. And one that frankly, I don't have a great answer on yet because I'm still pondering it. Like with the philanthropic work I've been doing, I think what I've been great at is just collecting amazing people and putting them all together in a room and helping paint a grander vision for what's possible and bringing in that positive energy and passion and excitement that might not have been there before. So like with the COVID stuff, right? Like, I mean, I called a few billionaire philanthropists and said, hey, here's the problem I'm seeing. And then I found the people working on the problems who know way more than I do. And I brought all of them together and then brought the philanthropists together. And then we started like doing something really cool as a group, right? And I'm like, wow, I'm actually really good at this. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't good at this a year ago because I thought I had to be superwoman. I had to solve the problem myself. I had to do everything myself. I had to come up with the money myself and pay for everything. And then I had to execute it all. And here I'm like actually convening and bringing people together actually could create more results and saying, look, I actually don't care whose name is on this. I don't want any credit. I don't want my name on any press release. Like, I just actually want to solve the problem. That's also uh, such a huge gift for other people because it just shows like, all right, well, it, it just makes it so much easier to get anything done, I'm realizing. Mm-hmm. And uh, collecting other people who are the same way. So it's kind of funny because now it's like, I don't want to be on the board. Like, I don't want to be in the press release. I don't want to talk to her. Like, no one wants to do that. It's like, guys, like, all right, I, I get that none of us want to take credit here, but like someone has to like get the word out there. Like... it's actually a a hilarious problem now yeah and last question uh what does it mean to you Jess, to be a woman um 
wow, great question. I was thinking about that this morning when I woke up because I was thinking, what would I tell my kids, right? Like if I had a son, what would I tell my son and what would my future husband say? What does it mean to be a man? And I focused on that question more than what does it mean to be a woman? Because even what does it mean to be a man has changed, right? Because before you'd say, oh, being a man means I'm going to be me the protector and breadwinner and and it's like like not necessarily anymore and so i think yeah i think the lines are really blurred a lot in a way right um yeah so what does it mean to be a woman i mean i think i think it's cool that everyone can define this answer however they want for themselves um and all answers are correct like there's no right answer um, like for me, what does it mean for me to be a woman is to support my other like fellow women in the world to realize their dreams. It's to be uh, an authentic, excited, positive, and optimistic force for good for everyone in my life, for all my employees, for anyone who would like watch a webinar or podcast I'm on or, you know, my, like my family. Right. And it's, to, and for me, it also means about like showing what's possible. And uh, that's really it. It has nothing to do with the traditional bullshit that we talk about, which is, you know, be soft and sweet and pretty and look like all that <laughs> crap, like didn't even cross my mind when you asked that question. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's definitely, I mean, even the first question of this podcast was define power. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> a question to like really make, makes me think and Kendall you like I don't even have all the answers myself to all this stuff um and yeah. I, I hope that anyone listening like you know really takes the time to figure out what it means for for themselves to um I mean it's great questions I want to totally steal these from you <laughs> uh well this was a really great interview thank you so much Jess. Uh, I think so that people will, yeah People will really resonate with it. And I think you'll bring exactly the things you're saying, optimism, uh, motivation, inspiration, and hopefully help a lot of women and men. And you're doing great work here too. So I wish I could ask you all those same questions. And I plan <laughs> to. I, I hope I see you after this uh, COVID stuff loosens up a bit. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. If you're ready to level up in your career and become a more powerful and purposeful leader, head over to theglow.org forward slash leadership to join our executive leadership training program. Again, that's T-H-E-G-L-O-W.org forward slash leadership to join today. You can find me at Lisa Carmen Wang on all social channels and lisacarmenwang.com. Never forget... You are enough. You are powerful. Now go out there and change the world.